Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today Welcome back to the latest Forza Italian Football Podcast, the only Italian football podcast coming to you from inside Italy and bringing you to the games every single week. I am your host, Connor Clancy, returning just about after an absolutely chaotic 24 hours in which I saw three games. And joining me this week, who someone is just as sick as me, Kev Pogorzowski. Kev, hello. Hi, Connor. How are you doing? Did the extra 24 hours give you enough time to recover? It did. An early night and lots of fluid last night seems to have done the trick. Uh, don't talk to me about an early night. Do not talk to me about an early night and Trenitalia because I couldn't get back after the game from Milan to Parma. The, the next train for me to get was at 5.15 in the morning. So I was just hanging out in a bar until then and then I had to walk halfway across the city and get a train. I, got, I left my house yesterday morning at 8.30. I got back at 7 o'clock this morning. So I am dead absolutely dead anyway Vito I hope you're able to bring more energy to the podcast this week than Kev and I well I'm hoping so uh, on the weekend uh, I went away because it was my sister's wedding so at least one sibling out of the two is married but yeah I think it's probably going to be more negative energy on my part so let's I might even squeeze a veto event so let's see how this goes <laughs> yeah you're your boys managed to achieve one of the most remarkable results of the weekend, but achieve is probably the wrong word there. All right, Mm -hmm. guys, let's start with the last of the three games I was at, which was the last game to be played in Serie A this weekend. It was at San Siro. AC Milan beat Cagliari 3-0, and this game was done after 23 minutes. Um, I want to start with the guy I spoke most about in my post-match video for the site, Christoph Piontek, he was pom 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 poming again. Kev, he's unbelievable. Yeah, he is. You've got to start believing the hype about this guy, really. And I think that he's been a bit, he's been a bit power 
you know, and determination, but the, the coolness with which he sort of collected the ball and then just sort of slipped it between the gap um, between the, the Cagliari defenders um, was just was brilliant to see, really. It's sort of that extra that extra bit of uh, confidence, I suppose, he's got now after the start of his season. It really is. When the ball dropped to him, I wasn't quite aware that it was him. I just knew it was one of Milan's attacking players, and I was thinking, this guy's just going to hit it and it'll be blocked, but as soon as he took that, I was thinking, all right, it's Piontek. They're okay. And he really did deserve that goal because in the first half, he didn't really have much of an opportunity to, to actually test Cranio. But he was just always in the right place. I, I said it again that Paqueta got his goal, but it was only because Calabria seems to overhit a cross that looked as though it was aimed at Piontek. And his movement was just so good. One thing that struck me was before this game, he, he had scored with each of his three shots on target for Milan. And he had one shot before scoring. So I think that's now four goals from five shots, which is just, it's sensational. And Vito, we've spoken about this guy since the beginning of the season. Obviously, I think this is the sixth time I've seen him play in the flesh. And every single time I see him, he's impressed me. And is it only going to get better for him? Unfortunately, we've seen far too many one-season wonders or two-season wonders in Serie A. But on the basis of what we've seen from him this season, he just looks like a natural scorer. He doesn't look like one of those guys that has to do well in a specific system or game plan. He just knows how to be in the right positions. He's a very clinical finisher. So I'm hoping that he's not one of those guys that can only do well for a couple of years. He looks like a guy that has the potential to become world-class and become a genuine star of the game. Well, you would think so, right? Because Genoa, Genoa aren't a good team. I think we can all say that. And he was feeding on scraps there. And even with four goals for Milan, he's, he's not exactly being served all that well. But he just keeps scoring. If, if Chalonoglu could had the ability to pass the ball to a teammate or Suzo didn't switch off after December every single year. He might even have more goals already for me. He's just, he's so exciting and it's really good. And he is absolutely adored at San Siro as well. When he came on for his debut against Napoli in the Coppa, I was at that as well. And I was amazed by just how loudly they roared his name. And this was the game that they didn't, they did. Oh no, it was, it was the, the Serie A game that he came on for that I was at. Dolph was at the Coppa game. But yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable how, how quickly they've taken to him there. And he seems to love it. You can see the way he's reacting when they're doing the call and response for his name in, before the game and, and after he scores. And I do think Milan fans are going to get used to shouting the name Prontek a lot more between now and May. And hopefully for his sake into next season as well. Another one of the new signings then who impressed and who was the focus of our player ratings and most of Gennaro Gattuso's post-match press conference was Lucas Paqueta. And he was the scorer of their second goal. He played very well. He was quite visibly moved after, after scoring the second, understandably given what's happened at his former club Flamengo in the last week. And Gattuso said that he's a guy who plays with his heart and Kev, He's, he's showing that. He's showing that he's got this Brazilian flair. He's, he's, he seems like a joy. Yeah, and I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. Um, as I was saying off, off air before we went live, I went over to, uh, to Rio in October 
to to watch the uh, the Rio derby between Flamingo and Fluminense, and and I saw Paqueta in that, and it was it must have been about a week to two weeks after the the AC Milan deal had been announced, and I don't know whether he was then downing tools in the Brazilian league. I, I dare say it wasn't a great a great fixture. You know, they pretty much wiped the floor with their opposition, but he had this sort of kind of language style, not really, inter- you know, interested in the play. And, and it's been completely different at, at, at Milan, really. And um, it, it's good to see because I kind of thought he was going to struggle with the, if you like, the competitive nature of the league, if he was going to go missing, like you alluded to, Suso tends to do um, after the the festivities. One thing I have noticed with Paqueta is that his decision-making isn't always that good. He does... Sometimes try to do a party trick when a simple, a more simple option would suffice. And maybe that's something that will eventually be kind of beaten out to him. Um, beaten out of him, rather, by Gattuso, but, but hopefully, hopefully not. Um, Fido, I want to talk about Frank Cassie because I don't think we speak about him enough. When he was at Atalanta, we spoke about him quite a lot, obviously. And when he moved to Milan at first. But this is a guy who, if he misplaces one pass everyone well not everyone but there's a certain group of Milan fans and others who who chastise him and criticize him and are quick to jump on him but he he plays an insane number of minutes an insane amount of games and he's so important for this Milan he's probably the one with the most stamina in the team or the greatest work ethic in the team his uh, ball control and all that hasn't been all that uh, crash hot but that being said um, he's playing in two different styles. I mean, playing at Atalanta is one thing with Gasparini and his well-defined system, whereas Gattuso is not like that in his coaching. With this team, I think there's a bit more reliance on the individuals to play to the strengths. Uh, Kessie, he's not scoring goals like he did at Atalanta, but he's still he's probably someone that's the closest to what Gattuso was as a player. Gattuso was known for that fighting spirit and work ethic. And I'm not saying Kessi is at Gattuso's level, but he has those attributes. And maybe if we did a bit more better on the ball, then maybe those critics will get off his back, especially if the team in general pushes up for the Champions League spots. That's one thing that I do think he has regressed with, actually, at Milan, is his technical ability or lack of. Because at Atalanta, it was never an issue. There were him and Roberto Gagliardini were often in midfield together, and both now look quite inept on the ball at times. But at Atalanta, it was it was never really an issue. Maybe it was because they didn't have as much time in the ball with as much license to create. Because Gasp's sides have always gone through a number ten and the two wing backs. But anyway, Kev, someone uh, speaking of fullbacks, actually Davide Calabria, who was spoken about in the post match press conference afterwards by Gattuso and. He was asked if he thought the the right back was underrated. And Gattuso said, I I hope so. And I hope it stays that way because then we can keep him. He's never spoken about. It it is a loss that they don't have Conti available to them. At least if he can rediscover his Atalanta form. But Kev, Davide Calabria has done quite a nice job quite quietly there. Yeah, I wrote a piece on him in uh, the start of the season, I think. Or maybe it was the end of it might even be in the end of last season after he'd scored against Roma, saying just how well we'd done there. 
Um, and then the start of this year again, you, you're not sure whether he's just been been quiet or just been going about his uh, his business with sort of ruthless efficiency. Um, Abate now is probably a million miles away from actually taking over that right back berth, and you just wonder with Conti's return to fitness in the last few weeks whether that has pushed uh, Calabria on a little because he looked a little a little bit too comfortable, if you like, um, and and. You just see the way that Conti attacks from fullback, and it's maybe re- made uh, Calabria realise that he needs to to add that to his game. You're certainly getting up and down the the flank uh, uh, on Sunday evening. It was, I think, around the time Conti looked like he was going to come back last season, where Calabria pushed on again. So there's probably something in that, you know. Um, another thing from from the stands was obviously Christoph Piontek has his song which is fantastic. It's really nice to hear. But they've given back Yoko one as well, which shows just how much he's turned things around at San Siro in the last couple of months. Anyway, moving on, we'll go to Reggio Emilia, where Sassuolo were beaten quite handily by Juventus 3-0. Seems to be the score of the, the round, really. Vito, this was just Juventus swatting aside a mid-table side. That was pretty much the reality of the situation. Sassuolo did have a few chances, especially before Juve took the lead. But ultimately, you do have to take those chances, especially against the Bianconeri, because they have the quality to punish you. And that's what happened with uh, Sassuolo. Sassuolo do play nice football, but it means very little if you can't put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, and losing Prince is is going to is not going to do them any favours. Kev, we, we've we spoken about Emre Chan and Sami Khedira at times, but both scored this weekend. Do you think either of them can offer anything positive to this Juventus team for the rest of the season? Well, I know Khedira gets quite a lot of uh, uh, criticism, I think, and I've certainly been critical of Emre Chan from what I saw um, at Liverpool and, and what I think he'll actually give Juventus moving forward. I think the criticism of Kadira, you, you have to remind yourself constantly how much he's won, the teams that he's played for, you know, the experience that he's going to bring if Juventus are looking to take that next step in the Champions League. And unfortunately, I, I think he's, it's a bit of when you've got Pianic next to you and then you've got the industry of Matuidi, it's kind of, he's the best of a, uh, oh, sorry, the worst of a, a a good bunch, and that's that's why maybe he become comes under so much criticism. I think he can still play a quite a crucial role if they're gonna gonna take that final step in the Champions League this season. And he does pop up with the odd goal and no Chan scored at the weekend, but that's not something particularly that you're going to get from Chan uh, very often. No, he's definitely not a goal scorer, is he? Um, but yeah, I my opinion on Kadira changes every week as well to be honest with you and it frustrates me because sometimes you see him and you think all right he's he's quite an intelligent guy he knows what he's doing and then sometimes you see him and you just think how is this guy still playing for Juventus and he seems to fluctuate a little bit too much a bit little bit more than he perhaps should um I'm looking for no never mind okay Vito Daniel Rugani he's he played Adam Digby friend of the podcast wrote a piece about him in the week to say that this could potentially be one of his last chances to impress with their defensive issues and 
he was it started badly for him, but after that he was comfortable enough. And do you think that Rogani is going to take this chance? Because he's probably gonna get a, a series of games now. On the basis of last week's game against Parma, I would have said no. Uh, this week's game, I would not be confident enough to say yes. I'm just going to say maybe for now. So I'll do a bit of fence-sitting. Rugani's been at the club for a good four seasons. So it makes me wonder, when is he going to take the next step? Or is it a case that Allegri's never going to trust him or whatnot? So with Rugani. He must take this chance if he really wants to stay at Juve or be a starter. But he comes across as a guy that just looks happy to sit on the bench and uh, collect all the trophies without doing much. If he was someone who really wanted to make something out of his career and really improve his game, you can, I only that you can learn a lot from Bonucci and Chiellini, but I think you can't beat match experience and getting game time. I think he hasn't had a lot of that in the last four years. So I think when the pressure really comes, that's where he might get exposed. And if he doesn't take his chances now, he should seriously consider leaving Juventus. Forget this stuff that he's going to be the heir to Chiellini or Bonucci. If he was ready, he would have been ready years ago. Yeah, well, Adam actually quoted a, a press conference line from Allegri where he said, make no mistake, this guy is the future of Juventus, but the problem is that quote came in, I think, 2015. So, yeah, things aren't going too well for him. Anyway, Parma nil Inter won the first of the games I was at this weekend. Kev, Lautaro Martinez is all right, isn't he? He took his goal really well. Um, I only saw the highlights, but the, the pressure he was under, under from the defender, and he's almost fallen off bar, uh, balance when he sort of strikes the ball home, I thought was really... Really impressive. I was just a little surprised about the result after um, Palmer had, did so well at the Juventus Stadium and, and into a coming off the back of the Bologna result. And you thought, well, they might be there for the taking at the Tardini. I really fancy Palmer because of, as you said, that, that result last week and the way Inter have been playing. But after about 15 minutes, it seemed clear that Inter were the better team. It, it just seemed like they were either going to win it or really, really regret another one of those afternoons where they didn't try anything new. They just kept trying crosses into the box that weren't working. And eventually it told, and it, it wasn't from a cross that they got their goal. They, I think they had 18 crosses in the first half, mm-hmm. which seemed crazy because Bastoni and Bruno Alves were just eating them up. Bruno Alves has this amazing way of attacking a header. It looks like a dog when you've thrown meat in the air. He's runs at it and jumps but it was it was never happening for them and then eventually it was it was Rajan Angelan who broke up play really well from Yuri Kuchka did well to slip a ball through the two defenders and yeah I was really impressed with Lautaro's taking of that goal because Yakaponi was on him he yeah and he got it quite it was it was almost back to goal it wasn't as if Nangalan had slipped it down a channel you know he still had to 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 beat the defender mm. It was kind of like that um, Aguero goal that won the league for City a couple of years ago. That's what I thought back to as soon as he did it. It was the same sort of skill set on display. Someone who's not been enjoying his time in front of goal lately is Mauro Icardi. He, before this game, Vito hadn't scored in six games, which was his worst run in Serie A. And now it's seven. And he missed a really, really bad chance in this one from 
very, very close. And for once, it looks like he's not quite got the confidence that he usually has. It is rather surprising, but I think this lack of form is has been caused by off-field issues. The recent contract speculation once again has resurfaced, and yet here all this talk about his agent and his wife, Wanda, trying to stick her nose in, trying to do a better deal. And then Marotta, the new sporting director, has had to give his two cents on the situation. So I wonder how much is this impacting on the situation and if this is a potential catalyst for him to actually leave Inter once and for all. You think? Kev, what do you make of that? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I can see the reasons why he wants. To, he, he might want to get away, um, but then I think he might. He, he might have pushed for a move before now, and it, it could just be them positioning themselves for a better payday. Um, to be perfectly honest, I don't know. I, I just always doubt whether he wants to actually push himself in one of, you know, into the into the huge club, but but someone playing regularly or let's say competing regularly to win the Champions League. You know, Benzema's probably on, on you know, coming to the end of his career at Real Madrid, given his age. Why wouldn't they go for somebody like Icardi? But you just wonder whether he still prefers to be that big fish in a relatively small pond, not a ridiculously small pond. Do you think there's a chance that Icardi just really, really likes Inter? He might. But how much loyalty do we see with that these days, really? <laughs> loyalty is a good word to use in any conversation discussing Mario Riccardi as well. But the less said about that, the better, <laughs> yeah. I think. Um, Vito, do you think Rajan Angolan is back? I'm not going to get too excited over just one insist. It was a nice pass to Martinez, but for me, he's got to keep on doing that, whether it be in Serie A, in the Europa League, uh, he's got to continuously provide those kind of assists, those runs into the box, and even chip in with a few goals. I don't expect a return to his Roma form, but you know, maybe next week he'll just you know, go quiet or something. You never know. I've apparently upset a Milan fan, sorry, by, by saying that maybe Calabria wasn't looking for... Paqueta on the ball, but the, the, they didn't have any TVs in my row this week. So sorry about that, angry Milan fan, but it doesn't usually take much to upset you guys. And so you have proven yet again. Um, Daniel has come in in the comments to say Romagnoli is better than Rugani. I don't think anyone is doubting that or has doubted that for quite a couple of years now. Rajan Angeland was saying afterwards about how he's he started to take his life away from football more seriously, which is quite interesting because that was obviously always the thing that was holding him back. He said he never took it seriously, but now he is. So possibly, who knows, maybe he will have something of an Indian summer, but it could be a little bit too late for him to start looking after himself. The damage could quite possibly be already done. Um, okay, the the third, the second of the game is at the last that we will speak about is Atalanta 2, Spal 1. For a long, long time, it didn't look like it was going to happen for the Bergamaschi. They they dominated the first half, but it was an Andrea Patania goal that was the difference at halftime, and Atalanta were struggling. Despite creating a number of half chances, Spal defended quite well, as they tend to, this season under Semplici, and 
eventually it took an excellent combination from Duvan Zapata and Josip Ilicic to score. And then it was those two who were involved again as Ilicic sent Hatabor down the line, who then picked out Zapata for the winner. And Kev, this was just Atalanta showing that they're, they're a pretty good team. This is a different way for them to win, fighting back from being one down against a tricky defensive opponent. And they managed it. Yeah, they did really. They did well. Because they did really well. They played the game that they they usually play. Although they did they did seem to start very nervy. And I wonder if you know you're a a, a keen follower of uh, Atalanta. And I just wonder if you worry if that's this run in for the Champions League now. You know they had the chance to go. Well, they did step into fourth place after the win. But you had the the nervousness in defence when um, I can't remember who it was now. One of the defenders. A misplaced a pass that saw, yeah, yeah you know, and then obviously they they go behind to a a wonderfully curled in outside of the uh, the boot cross for Batania, and uh, you know they they pulled it back, which is another positive sign. You want to see if they're gonna they're gonna break this sort of Champions League uh, duck that they've been going for, and I just wondered if nerves were sort of starting to settle in. I I take your point, but I don't think so. I they have this tendency against the small teams to almost the smaller teams because Atalanta aren't a big team by any stretch mm. to, to kind of switch off a little bit to begin with. And it does usually take something to get them going against these lesser teams. I have a feeling that they've obviously got a huge game this weekend. They, they play Milan in Bergamo, which is going to tell us a lot about what happens come the end of the season. Because Atalanta, Atalanta can be fourth at the end of this round of fixtures, which will be quite big with, what, 24 rounds of fixtures played. And I do think they need to be taken seriously because we have said a lot that Milan, Roma, Lazio will all drop points, as will Atalanta between now and the end of the season. Fiorentina, Sampdoria, even Torino as well. They're not going to win every game between now and the end. It could I think be that's a huge test for um, Milan's midfield. Yeah, because well, this is <laughs> the the, you know, the movement of the Atalanta front. Let's say four. Um, well, it's great because it's it's almost a front five because you've got the three obvious ones with Papa Gomez, Zapata, and Ilicic. But then in possession, um, Castagna and Hatabor are nominal mm. forwards as well because they play on the wing. And then they've got this weird thing where one of the centre backs always joins in an attack. So it's either Toloi. Um, Mancini or usually Mazziello but Palomino this season one of them's always up there because they've got Darun and Freuler who just sit and they are more than happy to not attack for most of the game but it is going to be a big test especially if Milan keep playing as they have been in recent weeks with Bakayoko as the only defensive midfielder in that 4-1-4-1 it's going to be quite a game and we've sent in an accreditation request but we're hopeful that I'll be there for it and it'll be hard to stay quiet if something happens in that game. It'll be the biggest test of my professionalism until this point. I do want to give um, Martin Darun some some credit because he, he's loved in Bergamo, and rightly so. Remo Freuler is someone that I'm a big fan of as well. And I do think part of the reason he looks so good is because he's got Darun beside him. This is someone who's not the... He's not that creative force or he's going to drive a team creativity, 
creatively. Oh, I can't speak because creatively, creatively. That is the word I've been looking for. Thank you, Kev. He's not the most creative player, but it doesn't matter because he's got players who can do that. All he has to do is give the ball to Ilicic, Gomez, or one of the fullbacks, and they do it for him. Everything he needs to do, he does perfectly, and he never stops. He's unbelievable, and I absolutely adore the guy. I I loved him when he was in Serie A at first. I was heartbroken when he left, and I'm very very happy that he's back. And he's, he's one of those players that you don't you don't really appreciate unless you're at the game, mm. because sometimes the cameras pan around, uh, pan away, and the the amount of games that I I sort of see over the course of a season, people always say, oh, you know, you could save your money and you could not go to the stadium. You miss the atmosphere, but more importantly, you miss actually seeing what is going on on the pitch and see those positional sort of intelligence that, that people at that or players at that level have. And he's, he's one of those and you don't appreciate them until you see them in the flesh. Absolutely. And I don't want to bang out about it, but this is one of the big things for me about actually being out here this year is you see so much more. You, you feel it, you feel the atmosphere, you hear it and you see what's going on almost politically at clubs. But it's, it's exactly that. Seeing how much players offer to their teams that you never realised from watching on TV before. And when you see Atalanta play and you see one of their defenders joining an attack and you realise that the two fullbacks are up there as well, you think, oh my, who's actually defending? It's always the room. He's always there. He just knows instinctively to drop in. He's really good. I absolutely love the guy. And he'd go to, he'd go to the end of the world to defend whatever shirt he's wearing as well, which endears him to any set of supporters which I'm quite grateful that it didn't quite work out at Middlesbrough with them getting relegated and he came back. And actually, one of the reasons he's loved at Atalanta is there was a picture of him signing his contract after coming back. And there's a, someone just took a photo on their phone through the door. So he obviously didn't know he was being photographed or anything, but he, he signed his contract and just started doing this. He was so happy to be back. Yeah, he's what a guy. Um, I was going to talk about Castagna and Hatterborough's improvements, but we'll move on. To Fiorentina Napoli, it, it ended scoreless. Um, Lafont was excellent for Fiorentina, but I want to start with Napoli, Kev. We do have a comment on YouTube on the live stream. Ah, it's from CM Fox. Hello, hello. It's been a while since we spoke to you. He says, unpopular opinion, but I think Lorenzo Insigne is vastly overrated. He's finishing a stub standard to be considered a top, top player. And Napoli, for all their easy on the eye, attacking play are bottle jobs um Vito you've been sitting quietly what do you think of that there is an element of truth in that because when Insigne is on his day is a delight to watch but he tends to disappear in big games to be honest and those are the kind of games where he needs to lift unfortunately throughout Napoli's history aside from when Maradona was playing there in the 80s and very early 90s, were they able to sort of get over those expectations and win trophies? At the moment, obviously, they don't have a legend like him and they don't even have the support crew that he had. So with the current side, they are overachieving and in Singing in particular, being a Neapolitan as well, I think there's a bit of pressure on him to perform, but so far he hasn't really stand out and it might be easy to label him a flat track bully in that aspect. Kev, do you think it's fair to call him a flat track bully? 
I think he I think he is far too inconsistent. But that, there's there's been times over the last uh, sort of eighteen months where he's he's been one of Napoli's best performers against the you know the if you like top opposition in Italy. Um, somebody asked me about him at the weekend while I was in Liverpool because apparently they've been linked with him and the valuation was 150 million euros. And I just, well, I was just astounded at that sort of, you know, that sort of amount for him. It sounded like agent talk, if if, if anything, really. Yeah, it's hard to put a rational evaluation on anyone's head at the moment, though. But in Sydney, of someone who has frustrated me a lot throughout the years, because he does have that inconsistency and immaturity at times. But this season, I it looked for so long like Ancelotti had kind of thumped that out of him or nicely chatted that out of him. So it's, I don't know, it is hard to know. Maybe, maybe it's just normal for a player to not be able to deliver sensational results every single week, which is something that I think is detrimental to having both Leo Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo exist at the same time is that all of our standards have just become so inflated that mm. everything gets compared to them. If one of those players was around or neither, I think Lorenzo Insigne will be one of the players that people like to watch every single week. But because we've got these two guys who are flawless, it everyone else is just substandard. And I don't know, maybe having those two guys around is is a curse to everyone else. Um, another Daniel has come in in the comments to say that Insignia's biggest limitation is that he's a mediocre athlete, which I think is quite harsh because he's just a number 10, isn't he? He's a number 10 that plays in Italian football. They're not always the best athletes. Even the likes of Papu Gomez and that, they're not the most athletic. Kaká when he was here maybe too, but I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, what have we got? Ah, let's go. Carlo Ancelotti, Fito. Because Maurizio Sarri is getting a lot of flack for the job he's doing in London. But Ancelotti took over from him at Napoli. And at the moment, he's eight points worse off than Napoli were at this time last season. He's been knocked out of the Champions League and he's been knocked out of the Coppa Italia already. Is there a problem? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I wouldn't say it's a problem with the coaches. Well, one thing you can look at is that the Aventus have had an incredible start to the season and they've been able to maintain that. And the Bianconeri have not lost the game this season. So regardless if it's Napoli or anyone else, uh, the Aventus are very far ahead at the moment. If it's a, just a matter of tactics, well, Saudi's team was definitely more pleasing on the eye. Uh, that's for certain in my view. But in terms of results, I think it's really just a case of what coaches can get out of their squad. Saudi has his methods. Ancelotti has his um, but ultimately, I think it's up to squad quality. And really, if you really had to blame people, uh, you could blame the sporting director, Juntoli, and the president, De Laurentiis, for perhaps being a bit frugal and not splashing out enough. But uh, in both situations, Sadi came second last season, Ancelotti second now. Neither coach did well in the Coppa Italia, Europe, Nothing out of the ordinary. So I think it's really just a case of, you know, just the quality of the players at their disposal. And you can only do so much if you've got players that aren't consistent enough or really going to give you that big jump in quality to make you win trophies. Speaking of consistency, oh, Kath, go. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, I think you've got a question, the, the squad motivation. You know, from almost the start of the season, Juventus have been flying. You're, they're now in a position where Juve are, what, nearly 10 points away, 11 points away. They're not being pushed from behind them either. So they know they're going to finish, you know, second, effectively without having to put too much effort in. Their best performance, I'd argue, actually came in the Champions League this year when that was maybe something that they could go out for. And it remains to be seen how much they're going to put the effort into the Europa League this week. But you know they've got they've just got nothing to play for in in Syria and no one really challenging them to to push them on. And after two years of of really going hell for leather under under Maurizio Sarri. Hmm. Yeah, it's this. I don't know. It's hard to know what to say about Napoli at times because any criticism of them or their individuals does seem really really harsh given what they are up against. But we're gonna have to try and do that when I ask you Kevin about Dries Mertens because as, as another comment has raised he's his form has fallen off some way as well or uh, just gone back to norm you know we, we always talk about a one season wonder sometimes players can have sort of 18 month to two year patches where they're just on fire and I imagine you know not without looking at the stats I imagine his, his goal average has, has gone back to what it roughly was before he got pushed uh, to a central role. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I'm looking for something where there probably isn't. I think because I think I think I wrote a piece at the end of that that season where he was so phenomenal. Well, Milik was out that um, 
I can't remember who was coming in looking at him, potentially to purchase him, and I said they should sell because he will eventually revert back to to, to his sort of norm and, and they should have cashed in, really, because there were some stupid numbers flying around for him. One of the things he... Mate, go, Vito. I, I was going to say, I think I read one rumour that Manchester United were interested in him and they were offering something as high as €35 million. Euros. So that would have been crazy money for, for a player that was over 30 years old. Is that now or back when he was amazing? Back when he was, was amazing. That? Yeah, he had like one year left on his contract. And I think he eventually settled with a new deal at, uh, at Napoli. But, um, Can you imagine how, how bad he'd be in a Mourinho team? By the way, that would be horrendous. But him at United now would be quite fun. Um, yeah, it would be actually, especially on the Solskjaer. Him and Paul Pogba's playing consistently. Imagine that. One of the best players in the world is good when the ball is at his feet and not flying over his head. It's a shock. That. Very true. Um, one thing that Mertens does bring though is he brings the best out of the others because again as we were saying Kev positionally he's very good he makes the right runs him and Insigne and Callihan have a great understanding and I'm not sure if Napoli's front line would be as good if you took him out of it and replaced him with someone else on a long-term basis but anyway Fiorentina Lafont was excellent in goal he got our fourth Italian football player of the week this week Kev and he is kind of representative of Fiorentina's best strength this year, maybe, which is how how good they've been defensively at times. Yeah, I, I must. Have, I was going to be a little harsh then and say that some of those, some of the Napoli finishing was straight at him. But um, I've been really impressed with him this year, and I remember sitting down to the early game, I think, against Kiev a few weeks ago, and thinking, "Oh, like look at this chap," and then. He played that awful pass that eventually got got ruled out, and I thought, oh, I've uh, I've gone and jinxed him. But uh, but no, defensively, Fiorentina have been been sound this year, and obviously they lost um, they lost a big part of their defence last year. But you just wonder if it swung too much the other way because they seem to have have lost a little something going forward. Um, obviously, Simeone he's having a uh, awful season, really. Yeah. Yeah, quite possibly. Anyway, I've just realised the time, so we'll we'll move on through this a little bit quickly. Vito Roma beat Chievo 3-0 away from home. I'm not going to start saying Roma are back because it was Chievo, but this is an important win for them. Absolutely. I think it's an ideal confidence booster heading into the Champions League tie with Porto. <clears throat> Pardon me. And also... Uh, it was good to see also Stefan El Sharari and Ed and Jekka in particular play very good games. So hopefully they can take that form into the round of 16 tie. Yeah, Jekka just getting warmed up for the competition that he's actually contracted to play in this season, it seems, because at, at the beginning of the year he was non-existent in Serie A, but was doing all right in Europe. The other side of Rome, Kev Lazio beat Empoli 1-0 on Thursday night, quite annoyingly. Job done. Do you know why that was, Connor? I actually don't. I will confess. Ah. Uh, the Six Nations. Was it? I believe so. That's a bit annoying. <laughs> it, was, it, it wasn't until I was sat in the pub uh, on Saturday afternoon and I saw where uh, Wales were taking on the Italian rugby union side that I realised that must have been why they played on Thursday because I was I, I missed the game completely, I won't lie. 
until I saw the highlights because I just didn't realise it was on Thursday night. Yeah, I had forgotten about it as well. So our um, sorry, our preview actually went up on the but, Friday, yeah. and I, I was just hoping that no little annoying Twitter person commented. You know, Syria started yesterday. Thankfully, mm-hmm. I think we got away with it. But they got the job done. But, you know, again, they're just sort of going nowhere. Everybody else in front of them at the moment is still picking up those points. I just can't see them breaking into the Champions League what they so desperately craved the last few seasons and obviously got close to um, very much last year. Do you think that Lazio would do anything in Europe if they got to the Champions League or would they just be stripped of everyone and then it would be a makeshift B team that took on the Champions League next season. Oh, well, wow. Yeah, it, they, might be, they might be stripped of a lot of their assets, but I don't know. It's difficult now that, that, that Italy get the four group stage places and with the seeding, um, you know, most sides from the Europe's top four, four leagues really should be able to get themselves into the knockout stages and then it's anybody's uh, anybody's game, really. Most sides should, Kev. Yeah, but Italian. But yeah, but it's um, Inter don't and uh, Inter Napoli and don't. And, uh... <laughs> Inter who have spent I don't know how much money in the last few years to challenge for Europe. But let's not get into that because I annoyed people by saying that Italian teams should have done better in Europe this year. Um, Bologna won, Genoa won. Pretty bad game. Vito that was made look exciting by the last few minutes. Pretty much. In the last 10 minutes, Bologna were really pushing for the win. They got quite a few corners and their best chances fell to the centre-back Danilo. But uh, Iono Turadu, not just in those 10 minutes, but throughout their game, he performed very well in the general goal. So I reckon the Grifoni can thank him for bringing a point back to Genoa. Kev, Torino won again. They beat Udinese 1-0, which reminds me Vito is going to have something written about Torino coach Mazzari going up this week. Um, but they don't get a lot of love because Mazzari is very much not a popular person at the moment because of the way he sets his teams up. But they're eighth. They are yeah. just four points off the fifth place, just five points off the Champions League. And surely he deserves some credit. Yeah, well, they also they were, they were quite lucky with the awful penalty, though. Um you know, as, as much as it was saved by the keeper, it was it was really quite poor. It was the right height. It was nowhere near within the corners. But I was quite I was quite pleased to see. Oh, I will get the pronunciation wrong. But um, is it Anya? Yeah, the, yeah. the goal no, scorer. Um, hang on. Oh, Aina. Oh, Aina. Aina. Anya. Yeah. Aina. But, I, I've uh, got Aina because that's how they say it here. Aina. Yeah. Well, that's you. Well, right. we we've, we've spoken to the uh, to the young man. Yeah, I know um, twice. <laughs> and so it's uh, it's a, uh, Okay, I'll try and remember that one. But but you know he, he he's done really well. You know there's there's lots of lots of English players never leave these shores and test themselves out, out. You know, and he's not gone to a particularly, if you like, popular league for English players with a lot of youngsters going to the Bundesliga. Kev, and, uh, to see him score. Kev, really good. Mm. You're such a little Englander right now. He plays well, for Nigeria, mate. But he's come through the Chelsea. Yeah, youth no, round. I, I take your point. I take. I think. He yeah, is. a lot. A lot of them don't don't leave. Okay, so English-based youngsters don't leave that comfort bubble of you know the money and you know and all the facilities and everything they've got. And it's really nice to see somebody actually going. 
the Premier League isn't the be all and end all. And let's go and try ourselves out in Italy, which is obviously a, a wonderful country to live in. I'm sure you're finding that, and I'm sure he is. But it was just nice because he's performed really, really well this year. It's it, you know, it's not often I'm I'm old and miserable now. It's not often that things give me a little bit of warmth in my heart. And and seeing him just really happy to score that goal was really nice. Yeah, and from what Vieri and Dov have said of him this year, he is a really, really nice guy. So we're all behind him. I'd like to see him do well. And maybe he'll rock up to Bergamo next year when Torino miss out on Europe and Atalanta are there taking on Real Madrid. Who knows? Anyway, let's move on from that. Where have we got? Ah, Vito, I'm sorry. I'm very, very sorry. But explain your boys. Sampdoria nil, Frozenone won. And that is the right order because Sampdoria were at home. It's unbelievable. Uh, look, credit to Marco Baroni, the new Frosinone coach, for improving things at that club recently. They look more confident and organised with him than what they were under uh, Moreno Longo. But when you have 72.4% possession and you're walking around like a bunch of snails, you don't deserve to win. It's that same. Possession is futile. Um, you can have all the possession you want, but you've got to put the ball in the back of the net. Not only that, some thought he can't keep rolling on Quagliarella. Marco Sal and Manolo Gabbiadini arrived in the January transfer window. The players are there, so it's time that you've got to be consistent, get over the Napoli loss, and start getting back to winning ways, even if we've got to play Inter next week. doesn't matter. If we really want Europe, if we believe in it, got to put the ball in the back of the net. Nice and simple. Otherwise, uh, one of our loyal listeners, uh, Doria Boy, is hashtagging Gianpaolo out. The only way I'll endorse that, though, is if we don't make Europe. It's his third season, Gianpaolo. He's got to aim for Europe. Otherwise, we need a fresh start. Do you think the um, incredible run of form that Fabio Quagliarella had overshadowed some underlying problems? I would say yes, because Gregoire de Froy had an amazing start to the campaign, but he's dropped off since. Uh, it also doesn't help that Gianluca Caprari is out for some time. He's going to be back around the end of March with, a, I think, a leg injury. And, look, one of the main problems with Sump under Gianpaolo is that the fullbacks are rather vulnerable defensively. And we were missing Nicola Muro for this game. Tavares, the Brazilian youngster, came in. He struggled on the left there. So uh, when the players get injured, it does not help your situation. But that being said, when you have lots of possession, move the ball slow, it gives the op- the opponent enough time to set up. And that's what Rosinone did. And Raman Chipsa had an incredible game for them. He could not, you know, he cut off a lot of our supply. I think um, Sam Fox is doing his usual trolling effort by going a little bit extreme in his analysis of the Sampdoria situation. He says, Sam's season has been turned into a one-man quest in this Qualiorella goal streak run. Now they've got nothing. Nothing might be a little strong. But Kev, do you think Champello should get the sack if they don't get it into Europe? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm one against really sacking coaches a little bit too, you know, too prematurely. You've got to remember what's in front of them. Um, Vito obviously is a, a passionate Samp follower. So, uh, you know, I think that, that, come, that comes across in uh, his, um, are we going to call it his Vito rant? No, that wasn't a rant. Um, I think that was okay. But uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I think I think it would be a little a little harsh on them. You know, they have played some some good football this year, and I think they are 
attempting to sort of break into those European places. Yeah, it's I, just those, those sides that are on a little bit of a slump, you could argue your, your Lazio's and Roma just aren't, aren't dropping enough points for somebody to sort of slide in in front of them. Yeah, Vito, you're you're being too harsh on your boys. Give them a chance. If if they lose to Inter and then go on to lose against Cagliari after that, and then things keep spiraling and they lose to Spal away, then the rain the, the gloves are off. You can say whatever you want about Gianpaolo on here, but give give them a couple of weeks. <laughs> and when's the derby? Surely there's a derby to lose soon. There must be one. Although yeah, there's one more. Game, I did look. It's towards the end, I think. If I remember, it was towards the end of the first round of fixtures. I'm trying to find it now, but the internet. Oh, we drew one one. It's on the 14th of April. Well, the weekend of the 14th. Those fixtures aren't set yet, but that'll be a an evening game on the Saturday, so probably 13th, I would imagine. So that'll be fun. Mm. Anyway, he's um, never lost the derby. There you go. So there's still hope. Qualiarella will score in that, and every game between now and then, possibly. Right, you <laughs> know, back to you because. We did have a, a tweet on Twitter which brought something to our attention that we should really discuss, which is the situation at Palermo because they're in Serie B now. They are, they were looking like everything was good. They were going to get promoted. They are still fighting at the top of the table. I think they're just one point. Yeah, they're one point behind Brescia who lead the Serie B table. But it's all gone pear-shaped. Yes, it has, unfortunately. There's been a lack of clarity on the ownership situation because in December last year, uh, Zamperini had uh, sold the club to the Sport Capital Investments Group from the UK. So people like David Platt and Dean uh, Holdsworth or Holdingsworth were in, involved in the new ownership, but it doesn't seem like the new owners are who they really are. The current board has resigned and also Maurizio has been put under house arrest and one of the reasons was for money laundering. Recently, one of the defenders, Giuseppe Bellucci, has come out and he was apparently in tears when he said this, that he's not sure if the players are going to get their wages from the last two months. So... From some reports, it looks like February 15 will be the critical date as to when Palermo will find out if the players are going to get paid or if the club is even going to be in existence because they've been trying to look for new owners, but there's been a local Italian businessman that was involved, um, trying to see his name, Raffaello Folieri. Uh, that's been abandoned. And there were talks of an in- American group joining board, but it doesn't look like they're going to be involved in an acquisition of the club. So, unfortunately, it looks like Palermo are in dire straits, and we could see a similar situation to what Parma were in back in 2014 and 2015. The thing about it being Palermo, though, it's it's almost more ominous because they're from Sicily, and there's not a lot of money around there. At least with Parma, they're a northern team. Parma's a very rich, wealthy city. There's always a chance that they can get investment from the local area and make it work. But just look at the south for representation in the top leagues of Italian football. It's non-existent. Mm-hmm. Even Napoli, who, who are the big team in the south, are a bit of a mess. Really, you look at the, the stadium. Mm-hmm. Go, the go, sad go. thing of it all, the sad thing about it all, just with the South in general, 
it comes down to that old stereotype, even if there's no clear influence, but you don't have to be, you know, an Italian to work out that, you know, you can always suspect somehow the mafia is involved. Maurizio Zamparini is from northeastern Italy in origin, but you never know who's involved with these clubs, you know. The genuine ownership of the board and all that with southern Italian clubs, it's just that stigma that has remained for years and it's easy to make such speculations. So that's the great shame because there's a huge diaspora and a lot of Italian immigrants originate from the south. So even though quite a lot support the big boys from the north, uh, you know, I'm sure some of them do feel that they have a soft spot for where their parents and grandparents came from and would like to see them do better than what they are doing. And it's a shame for Palermo because they are a historically rich city, even though financially it's not that rich. So, and they've provided some interesting memories throughout the last decade or two. So it'd be a shame if they went down. Absolutely. I do know a couple of people from Sicily and specifically Palermo. And uh, hopefully I will see them here this week just to get a chat and see how they feel about it all. But Kevin, it would be a real shame if things went completely wrong for them and they ended up having to start over. Yeah, it would. And, and, and as Vito sort of alluded to, you just well, on yourself or you just wonder how long it would take them to come back because they don't have that sort of support network, if you like, that Palmer had. Um, you know, I went to Sicily a few years back and uh, oddly enough for of Italian football and covered the Juventus and Napoli game at Catania. And it was when there was, you know, there was that one up, uh, sorry, one's in Syria while the other's lying lowly elsewhere. And you, you, you really want to see both of them do really well, Palermo and Catania, to bring, you know, that derby back to the top flight because it is a very passionate region for, for their football. But you can understand how people get a little bit... Uh, frustrated with the uh, the outside involvement in their clubs, particularly if it, you know, leads to this sort of um, disappointing situation. Yeah, well, you look at Catania now and they're, they're fourth in their division of Serie C. And it does look more likely at the moment that that derby, the Sicilian derby, if it is to be played again in the near future, will be in Serie C rather than Serie A, which is a real shame. Mm. A real shame. Anyway, guys, on that note, <laughs> we will on that depressing note yeah we will we will leave it we will leave it um so kev vito thank you for getting through this with me this week thank Welcome. you for having me and i hope to speak to you both next week after being hopefully at atalanta milan and i will be somewhere else as well i think i'm at san siro next week as my confirmed game so we'll be back on sunday night I don't know from where, but until then, head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com for all of your Italian football coverage. You can read Vito's piece, and we've got a number of pieces actually scheduled to go up this week, so head over there and read all about them. We are at the games every single week. I think there's a a big, exciting round coming up at the beginning of March, so definitely make sure you're on the site for that. And yeah, get us on Instagram at ForzaItalianFootball, Twitter at SeriaFFC, and on everything for Italian football on Facebook as well. So until next time, all there is for me to say is ciao for now. Io questa maglia sognavo da bambino. 
Quando giocavo ancora col trenino, mio padre andava sempre al comunale. C'era il Torino, Torino da sognare. Granata è una seconda pelle, portarla è come un viaggio tra le stelle. Lo so cos'è la storia e la leggenda, giochiamo noi, la fiamma non si è spenta. Io sono il capitano, undici cuori tenuti per la mano, vincere sempre vincere con ardore, per il Torino, per il suo grande cuore. È un'emozione che sempre mi attanaglia, sono del toro e un grido mi accompagna, forza ragazzi vinciamo con onore, essere granato. Vuol dire fede e amor E ancora Thor E sempre Thor La Bardona canta tutta in cor E ancora Thor E sempre Thor Il Thor è grande Fa tremarle gambe E ancora Thor E sempre Thor Cantiamo noi cantiamo tutti in cor e ancora Thor, è sempre Thor, il Toro è grande, fa tremare le gambe. E ancora Thor, è sempre Thor, la Maratona canta tutta in Thor. E ancora Thor, è sempre Thor, il Toro è grande, fa tremare le gambe. E ancora Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.